There we go. That's a little better. Okay. Move that up a little higher. All right. I'll just pretend to talk loud. Is that semi-decent? Okay. Um, I don't know if my being here at the end of your summer series falls under the category of scraping the bottom of the barrel or save the best till last. Uh, I'm optimistic, though. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, uh, have you heard enough sheep lessons this summer? I, I, I've heard that some of your speakers have just said, uh, uh, sheep are in the Bible, and we're here to talk about the Bible. Uh, and that's our segue into uh, the topic du jour. Let's try this. Number one, I can just hold a mic. Check. There we go. All right. And th and then some. All right. Well, I I've resolved that uh, we're gonna talk about sheep uh, for one last lesson, uh, just because you're. Uh, gluttons for punishment, and you invited me here, so obviously uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk about something in the Bible. Uh, but, but before I do, uh, just a, a brief, very brief, uh, a requiem in semantics. Uh, I specifically chose those words in hopes that you might think that I'm smarter than I am, uh, which is probably not the case. A requiem in semantics, and I want to specifically talk for just a few moments. I promise you, Parker, they're, they're, we're going somewhere with this, okay? Promise. Uh, on the word right. I want to talk about that for just a couple of minutes. Uh, I hear this word being used a lot. Uh, and it, it's used in a very specific way, uh, with a very specific tone. Uh, and, 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 and forgive me if you think I'm being a little uh, biased or prejudiced, but oftentimes I hear it from a teenage female perspective. And, and, I, and I'll give you an example. Uh, someone might say, you know, I think that uh, Taylor Swift is the best entertainer out there. Right? I think that uh, cookie dough ice cream, bluebell cookie dough ice cream, is the best ice cream in the whole world. I've never had anything better. Right? And there's sort of this pause, and I think we're using this word. I, I'm not sure why we're using this word. I, I think we're afraid to make declarative statements in our English language. We can't just say, this is the case. We have to say, this is the case. Right? And, and, and we're looking for, for confirmation. We're looking for people to, to, to agree with us. I, I honestly think this is a byproduct of living in a largely agnostic world where there, there's not as many atheists as you would think, but there's a lot of agnostics. There's a lot of people who just think, I can't know. You can't know. We can't know anything for sure. 
And if you can't know anything for sure, then you can't just say that something is the case, that this is true, that this is right, that this is the way things are, this is reality. You have to sort of be apologetic and say, this is the way I think things are. Right? You guys agree with me? And we're afraid to be sure about ourselves. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about the use of the word right and how it should or shouldn't be used. But as I stand here and as I do this from time to time and stand in front of congregations, I ask myself sometimes, uh, why was I invited? Now, there's a number of potential reasons and answers. Do I have something unique to bring to the table? Probably not. I'm not that interesting. Is it possible that it's because of all my degrees and my inability to stick with one profession that I've changed over the years? Is that the reason why? Maybe, but probably not. Is it my legal experience that I'm an attorney? I used to think that was a really big deal until I became an attorney, and then I found out it's really not that big of a deal. But could it possibly be that I am really, really good at making bad decisions. Now that's something I have in common with sheep. Sheep, I don't know if you've talked about this this summer, but sheep are really good at making bad, mindless decisions without thinking. One will fall into the ditch, and then the next one will fall in the ditch, and then the next one will fall in the ditch. And you think one of them would say at some point in time, hey, I might not want to fall in the ditch, but they just keep falling in. And you wonder, what, what, what's going on up there, little sheep? Parents, you ever said that about your little sheep? You ever said, what were you thinking? And the answer is always, it's the same every time, isn't it? I don't know. And you know what? That's probably a very truthful answer. I just wasn't thinking. So I want to talk about bad decisions tonight. Bad decisions. Now, before we get into the, 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 the meat of the lesson, I, I want to sort of illustrate this point at how good some people are at making historically bad decisions. For instance the first 12 publishers that passed on J.K. Rowling's little sorcerer book, you may have heard of it. Twelve, how would you like to be, doesn't matter if you're the first, second, twelve, whatever, you're one of those publishers that said, no, we don't think that book's going to make us that much money. And you passed on that opportunity. You ever heard of Microsoft? I think most of you have. It's it, it, it's making my little laptop here work. Ross Perot passed on Microsoft for somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 to $60 million, which I know sounds like a lot of money, but just try to imagine, you know, how much Microsoft is worth today. And he passed on that because he just didn't think Microsoft would get there. You guys remember back in the 90s, a little search engine called Excite? There was a, a lot of search engines uh, back in the 90s. And one of them was called Excite. Excite passed on Google for $750,000. They could have owned Google, which now owns like half of the world. The other half is owned by Apple, which is owned by Disney, which owns everything. They passed on Google 
Western Union passed on the telephone a long time ago for $100,000. Turned out to be a pretty nifty invention. It gets used a lot. Reese's Pieces. You guys remember Reese's Pieces in the movie E.T.? Remember how much publicity and advertising they got from that one movie? M&M. The chocolate candy M&Ms passed on being the candy of choice of E.T. and decided to let that one go. And Reese's Pieces came in and took over. And they made an awful lot of money and they sold an awful lot of bad peanut butter candy because of that. That one just speaks for itself. I don't need to say anything. DECA Records. You ever heard of that before? They were a big record company. They had Bing Crosby back in the day. Bing Crosby was as good as it gets. But you haven't heard of them lately, have you? And one of the reasons may be because they passed on the Beatles. Didn't really see any future there. Or how about the worst sports trades? Some of the worst decisions, bad decisions that have ever been made. Babe Ruth for a musical. Bill Russell traded to the Boston Celtics. Kobe Bryant for Vladi Divots. Or Brett Favre to Green Bay for a first-round pick. I don't even want to talk about the Astros trading away Nolan Ryan. That just hurts me too much. Bad decisions. And a lot of people are good at them. I feel like I'm accomplished at them. And so what I want to do tonight is talk about the top five bad decisions to ruin your life. If you came here tonight thinking, how can I make my life as worse as it can possibly get, I'm going to give you some wonderful advice. Top five decisions that you can do, bad decisions that you can make to ruin your life. So what you need to do is just kind of, you know, at the end of the day, turn this lesson upside down and it'll be really good. Top five Bad decisions. Let's start with this one. Don't attend Sunday night and Wednesday. I don't have to attend Sunday night. I don't have to attend Wednesday. I mean, the Bible doesn't say thou shalt attend Sunday evening. The Bible doesn't say thou shalt attend Wednesday evening class. So it's not a sin to miss on Sunday night and Wednesday. Right? Sunday evenings and Wednesdays are really important. Now, before I go any further, let me just stop and say, I realize I'm preaching to the Wednesday evening choir. Okay? I, I, I get that. And so maybe that's a safe point to make. However, there might be someone here who's very offended by this idea that you should be here on a more consistent basis. You should be here on Sunday evening. You should be here. Maybe you don't come on Wednesdays, and this is the first time you've come in years, and maybe I am offending you. And if that's the case, that doesn't bother me at all because I'm not going to be here on Sunday. Andy and the elders can deal with those hurt feelings. You go talk to them. See, I'm just a visitor. I'm gone when this is over. I'm out the door. It's their problem, not mine. But this idea that, I, you know, Sunday morning, that's all I'm required to do. That's all that the Bible says, says I have to do, and so I'm going to meet that minimum threshold. But yet the Bible talks about the importance 
of occasions. What's that key passage in the Bible that we often use that talks about, you know, you've heard the preacher say this before, I'm sure at least once or twice, not forsaking the assembly. You ever heard that before? You remember where that's found? Hebrews 10, Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit or manner of some is, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching or drawing near. Depending upon your translation. You've heard that before. Okay, now, here, I want to break this passage down just a little bit and just kind of look at this and just kind of make a couple of quick, simple points from this passage. First of all, there's no mention of just Sunday mornings, is there? talks about Christians assembling and coming together. It doesn't say, but only when you're required to on Sunday morning. Also notice, there is a heavy emphasis in this passage on loving and encouraging other people. And at the same time, and bear with me for just a second, hold on. Did you notice that worship is not even mentioned in this passage? Now, I don't think the reason why it's not mentioned is because God doesn't expect us when we come together to assemble to worship because there's a lot of passages that talk about first century Christians worshiping and coming together. Acts chapter 2, a number of passages that talk about that principle. Christians in the first century who were the recipients of these letters and and books of the New Testament, they, they didn't have a problem coming together to worship. That wasn't the problem. That's why the Hebrew writer doesn't address it. The issue was, and for instance, you can see this in 1 Corinthians chapters 14 and 15, and 12 and 13, the problem was when they were coming together, they weren't very encouraging. They weren't very loving. And as Christians, we need to be loved, we need to be encouraged, and it's really hard to do that when we don't see each other. Absence makes a heart grow fonder, only goes so far. At some point, you need to see each other. I heard someone tell the story one time. It was a preacher, so it's probably not true. But I heard the story being told about a young man who went off to war and he wrote his girlfriend a letter every single day. And when he finally came home from war three years later, she was married to the mailman. At some point, we need to see each other. We need to have contact with each other. If we're going to love and encourage each other the way that God wants us to, we need to see each other. We need to be around each other. Just think of all the one another verses over and over and over again to to, to love one another, to encourage one another, even to rebuke one another, to teach one another, to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with one another. We have to be around one another. We need one another. Number two. Bad decisions help ruin your life. The sermon, that Sunday morning sermon, as short or painfully long as it may be, that's all I need. That's all I need. I get my weekly Bible study from the preacher man on Sunday and maybe some Bible classes here and there along the way. But other than that, that's enough. Right? A lot of people have that mindset. There are a number of passages in the Bible that talk about the importance 
of Bible intake. I like that, that phrase, not just Bible reading and not just Bible study, but just in, in whatever form you're, you're getting it, taking in the Bible, eating it, consuming it, living it, focusing on it, dwelling on it, thinking about it, reading it, studying it, all those things. Bible intake. I'm taking it in. Passages like Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Remember when Jesus was tempted the very first time? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I need every word in order to sustain myself. Or how about Colossians 3.16, the passage it talks about singing, but it starts off talking about let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If something dwells in me richly, that means there's a lot of it. If I go through the smorgasbord line and I pick up one little cherry tomato and I eat it, I wouldn't say that that cherry tomato is dwelling within me richly. Now, if I had a couple of dozen of those, then maybe it might qualify. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved. You need to spend time, open up that Bible and study. There's a time for devotional reading. There's a time to be encouraged and lifted up by God's Word. There's a time to open this book up and and spend time putting it to memory and and digging in and really taking the time and working through the Scriptures. Study to show yourself approved. Psalm 119, verse 20, My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Consumed with longing for your rules. Acts 20, verse 31, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone, Paul says. It was so important. God's word, got the message, God's word was so important. Paul says, I, every day I was trying to communicate it with you. I was telling it to you. I was preaching it to you. I was sharing it with you. Every day, which reminds me of Acts 17, verse 11. Those noble Bereans that they examined or searched the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. By the way, have you ever thought about the context of that passage? Yes, the, we, we always say the Bereans were good. They were, they, 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 they were good students. They studied God's Word every day. They spent time to see if what was being taught what, what was true and accurate. Do you know who was teaching them? And then they were listening to what that person was saying and then saying, well, now, we're not going to take your word for it. We're going to check and see if that's consistent with what the Bible says. That was Paul. If Paul walks in here and he starts preaching, I'm going to be like, okay, it's Paul. But they said, we appreciate that. We're thankful for the message, Paul. Thank you for preaching to us. But we're still going to check the original source, the Word of God, and see if what you're saying is true. They spent time daily searching the Scriptures. Even when they had someone as wonderful as Paul, you have someone as wonderful as Andy Baker who is delivering wonderful sermons. At at Katie, we have his brother John Baker, and I'm so glad that, that both of them are here. And as much as I love them and appreciate them and admire them, I still need to be opening up my Bible when they open up God's Word and start preaching and teaching to us and say, thank you, is that what the Bible says? Every preacher needs that. We should be searching and digging into the Bible on a daily, consistent basis. Wouldn't it be nice?
to have a daily reminder to read God's Word. If someone would just take a few moments and just post something out there and say, hey, don't forget, it's important to open up your Bible. I get one of these every day, and it's always in the morning. Every morning, a reminder that it's important that I be focused on God's Word. I'm so thankful for things like that. Number three, bad decisions you can make. Make excuses for yourself, and I add in there a parenthetical, and your children. And we'll talk about why that's so significant. Make excuses for yourself. For instance, I don't have this problem, me personally. And even if I did, I have a real good reason for it. So I'm immune, right? Now, some people... I don't think are any better than others. I think, I think we're all good. It, it, it just seems to be something we're born with. We're all good at making excuses. I mean, have you ever had to practice to get better at making excuses? We're, we're just good at it. I mean, a little baby gets caught, you know, reaching in and getting a cookie out of the cookie jar, and they know they're not supposed to, and, and, and Dad catches them, and they say, oh, I, I got it for you. Where did they learn that? We're so good at making excuses, but here's the problem with excuses. It's complicated by a lack of self-awareness and absolute blindness. I call it excuse blindness. And we'll talk just a little bit more in just a second about what that means, excuse blindness. But we're, we're, we're good at pointing it out in other people but not ourselves, unfortunately. In Luke 14, verses 18 through 20, remember we have this story about people who were called into a banquet. And they had excuse after excuse after excuse. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Who buys a, who buys a field and hasn't looked at it and inspected it yet? That's not a legitimate reason. That's an excuse. Verse 19, another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Now, that would be like today buying a car. He has five oxen power. And so you go out and you buy a car, even online. You're still going to inspect the car. You're still going to look at pictures of it from every possible conceivable angle. You buy a car online, and there's at least like, like 50 pictures of everything. Nobody buys that without inspecting it first. That's not a legitimate reason. That's an excuse. Or my favorite one, verse 20, another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. I don't know of a single newlywed who couldn't use a free meal. That's not a legitimate reason. That's an excuse. We're so good at coming up with excuses as to why that doesn't apply to me and why I'm the exception, excuses. And here's the worst excuse, possibly. He's not talking about me. We say that so many times when the preacher's up there and he's preaching, we're thinking, he's not talking about me. Hey, you, you know who needs to be listening to this? You know, Sister Sarah over here. Boy, I really hope she's listening. Because this, this applies to her. 
Now, for those of you who have ever taught a class before or you've had the, 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 the privilege of preaching before, standing in front of other people and sharing God's word with you, you've probably had this happen before. You're up there and you're making some point and you're trying to get it across and, and, and it's really important and it's, it's something that you know is needed. And you get done at the end of class and someone comes up to you and says, you know, I'm so glad that someone finally taught on this subject because, you know, there's a bunch of people here that need to hear that. And you're thinking to yourself, I was talking to you. We always think it's somebody. He couldn't be talking about me, not me. I mean, come on. I went to Brown Trail. They had to be talking about someone else, not me. It's easy to listen to a sermon and just think in the back of your mind the whole time, not me, not me, not me. Remember Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4? Remember how it got a little, uh, a little personal at one point? Uh, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. I imagine that was a little awkward and uncomfortable. But here's the thing. Jesus was direct and personal when he taught people. And in being direct and personal at the same time, what often happens is you're kind of, you can be thought of as being kind of confrontational. I mean, here he is bringing up her marital status. You think Jesus didn't know what her marital status was when he asked that question, go get your husband? He is confronting her with sin in her life. Now, he's being kind about it. Every time Jesus spoke the truth, he spoke the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15. But he was confrontational. Jesus left no room for the excuse that he must be talking about someone else. Sometimes it's not enough to stand up and say, we need to stop gossiping. Sometimes you have to say, we need to stop gossiping. And Jerry, I'm talking to you. And be specific so that we can't fall back on the very often used excuse, he's got to be talking about someone else. And so I don't need to listen. So that doesn't apply to me. I'm just fine where I am right now. I don't need to change. I don't need to repent. I'm a pretty good person. I'm just going to stay right here. Maybe that was the problem with the church in Laodicea. Maybe they were just really good at the excuse of saying, well, that doesn't apply to me, and so I'm okay. I'm lukewarm. I have no intention of changing. When the preacher is preaching, am I thinking about myself and how I should change? Hopefully. Or am I thinking about how others need to listen? Right over there, I see, boy, I hope they're listening. Or am I thinking about how everyone else is doing it or others do worse things or nobody's perfect or bad things happen, uh, have happened to me so I'm just a victim or life's just not fair or it's okay to sin every once in a while? Excuses, excuses, excuses. All of them. And we can get really dangerous in our lifestyle and get in the...
bad, terrible habit of making bad decisions by making up excuses. Why God's word doesn't apply to me. Number four, minimize the tragedy of sin. Number four, minimize the tragedy of sin. I mean, won't sin, won't send me to hell. So it's not that big of a deal, right? People think that way. People talk that way. You've probably heard people say that before. And maybe we've even thought that way before. It's just this one time. Are you telling me I'm going to lose my soul for doing this once? Is this, and you fill in the blank some form of worship, a salvation issue? You ever heard people use that language before? Oftentimes it has to do with, you know, maybe uh, women leading worship services or instrumental music in worship, something where we want to change up the worship service, and someone says, well, is this a salvation issue? And I don't mean to go down a rabbit trail, but just real quickly, if people have to invent words that aren't in the Bible to justify their position, there's a problem. Where do you find salvation issue in your Bibles? Not even in the more modern, liberal, good news translations. I mean, not, nobody uses that. If you have to invent terminology to justify your position, you might want to rethink your position. It's just a, it's not a salvation issue. The Bible doesn't say this specific thing is a sin. I can come forward later. If it is, just do it and pray for forgiveness and move on. We can think those things in minimizing the tragedy of sin. In your life, is sin a tragedy or a triviality? How do you and I think of sin in our own lives? Isaiah 59, verse 2. You've probably heard this many, many, many times before. Sin separates us from God. Sin, my decision, my selfish decision to do what I want separates me from God. And the price for that sin is death. There's not a higher price to be paid, Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus paid the price for our sins with his blood, with his life. Romans 13, verse 12. Jesus paid that price when it should have been me on that cross, when it should have been me who suffered, when it should have been me who actually died. But Jesus said, I'll pay the price for you, Kevin. By Jesus' wounds we are healed. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. I'm healed and I have life because of what Jesus did on the cross. He was wounded because of me. Have you ever wounded someone? Hopefully accidentally. Have you ever wounded someone? I mean, more than just, you know, just bumping into him and giving him maybe a little bruise. But I mean, you know, when I was a little kid, we had a, a big, I don't know, it was like a gardening pitchfork. It wasn't really a pitchfork. It was just, it was heavy, heavy, thick metal. It had three prongs on it. And I was, we were just playing around in the backyard, and I was just, just 
it was so heavy, I just kind of would let it go, and it would just go down into the ground, and it would just dig into that dirt, and my brother stepped in front of me, and it went right through his foot and bruised the bottom of his foot, almost went all the way through. Now, I know he was in a lot of pain immediately. I felt awful. I'd wounded my brother. And, I mean, we had to take him to the hospital. He, he, he had to have some surgery. He got fixed up. But, you know, it was, it was just a wound in his foot. A few months later, he's fine again. Everything's good. But I, I felt absolutely, absolutely terrible that someone was wounded because of me. Jesus was wounded because of me. This is eternally significant. This should stand out in our minds and this should bother us. What our sin does, what it does to my soul, what it does to my relationship with God, what Jesus did for my sin. Maybe the reason why we minimize the tragedy of sin is because whatever punishment is out there that's coming someday, it, it, it seems so far away, doesn't it? I mean, it's not like mom and dad when they tell us to do something. If you don't, you're going to be in trouble. And we know mom and dad are right there, and I'm going to get in trouble real soon. I mean, whatever eternal punishment, it's, it's, it's just out there way far away. And, and, and Peter talked about this, this feeling, this, this, this thinking. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, he says, Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? Referring to Jesus. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. You keep saying, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. You better be careful. You better be, you better be awake and alert. Now, where is he? Where, Jesus isn't coming. I don't see him. Verse 5, for they deliberately overlooked this fact. I find this very significant. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. These scoffers, these people who are making fun of you for being a Christian, look, look where they got started with. The very first thing they attack is the creation of the world. If you get people to doubt creation... And what God has done, it's just a matter of time before you can pretty much just wipe everything out of your Bibles. If I can't believe in the first act of God that's recorded in the Bible, that he created the world in six days, if I can't believe in that, then it's just a matter of time before I'm one of these scoffers. So important. Number five, minimize the importance of the cross and the resurrection. Now, I don't mean to, I'm not picking on anyone who's ever led a, a public prayer because I know sometimes that, that that can be difficult for some people. It's not easy. But have you ever done this just, just in your own mind when you're just maybe praying at home by yourself? If you just kind of thought to yourself, you know, you get to the end of your prayer and you thought, oh, yeah, uh, Jesus and the cross, that, that's right. And so you say, uh, if you ever pray, like, hey, thank you for sending your son to die on the cross. We can have a chance of heaven. Another little side note, rabbit trail. I, I'm not a big fan of the word, a chance of heaven. It, it's not a chance. It, it's a promise. 
but sometimes we just pray that at the end of our prayers because that's just sort of, you know, that, that's the thing we say before, in Jesus' name, amen. And so, and, and thank you for dying on the cross for forgiving us our sins, in Jesus' name, amen. And it just, we, we've just kind of gotten used to it. Right? And maybe when we've spent so much time assembled around the Lord's table and, and we've heard so many sermons, maybe, maybe it's become a little too common to us. Maybe we've forgotten the significance and the importance of what Jesus did on the cross and his triumphant resurrection and defeat of sin and Satan and death when he was resurrected and how important that is. And the best way to emphasize that point is the way Paul emphasized it in 1 Corinthians 15 when he talked about the significance of the resurrection of Jesus in that chapter. And he drives that point home in verses 17 through 19 where he says, And if Christ has not been raised, a hypothetical, but if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile or meaningless? Which is kind of a sad thing to think of that anyone's faith is meaningless. And you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. They're just gone. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. We cannot overemphasize the importance of Jesus and his death on the cross, his resurrection and triumph over sin. Without that, I'm completely lost, Paul says. When was the last time you were lost? And being lost in your car and Google giving you the wrong directions does not count. Okay? I mean, lost to the point that you feared for your well-being? Maybe it was a long time ago. Maybe it was when you were a kid. And you, maybe you, you were at some big store uh, or a mall or a, a fair or Disney World or someplace like that, and you got separated from your parents and you couldn't find them. Do you remember what that felt, the, the feeling of, of, of helplessness that you're lost and I don't know where my mom is. I don't know where my father is. Do you remember how awful, or maybe parents when your children were lost. I can remember this. I remember being at a pizza hut one time and I couldn't find Peyton and they had a play area and I thought he was in the play area, but he wasn't. And then I started walking around the the, 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 the play area, and then I started walking around the restaurant inside, and then I started walking around outside the restaurant, and then I started looking at people's cars, and I was about to panic. My four or five-year-old son could not be found, and I was terrified. I was ready to not let people get in their cars and leave until I know where my son is. Because he's lost. And it was awful. And then I could have killed him when I found him hiding behind one of the toys in the toy room over there. He was fine. But for about 15 minutes, I was panicking. 
Because he was lost. To be lost eternally. To have no hope. I've committed sin and there's nothing I can do to fix it. I could give my own life on a cross and that still wouldn't pay the price. And sinless, perfect, loving Jesus said, I'll pay that price for you, Kevin. You can't do it yourself. You can never earn it. But it's a gift. We cannot undervalue and underemphasize the importance of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus and the hope of eternal life we have because of what Jesus did for you and me. Sheep make really bad decisions. Here's five really bad decisions. Let's not get stuck in any of those, but let's focus on serving God, loving one another, being the kind of people that He wants us to be. I'm so thankful that you're here tonight. I appreciate you all so very much. Uh, Thank you for your attention this evening.